a date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. War bonds return $4 for every three you invest. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to deliver radio broadcasts. You would have heard them 80 years ago during the days of World War II. Our episodes will be a mix of entertainment, news, and other information. You'll hear each episode as close to the original date as possible, with some additional bonus episodes thrown in that include related content. This week, our episode consists of two segments. The first is a portion of Winston Churchill's August 20th, 1940 speech before the House of Commons, praising the Royal Air Force for its heroic struggle against the Luftwaffe. Our second segment is The Ferret Mandrake, an episode of the classic old-time radio series Escape. While this episode didn't actually air until after the war, on April 15, 1954, the story it tells takes place in mid-1940, starting with the retreat at Dunkirk and continuing in the weeks after the evacuation. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you enjoy the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, on to this week's episode. The great air battle, which has been in progress over this island for the last few weeks, has recently attained a high intensity. It is too soon to attempt to assign limits either to its scale or to its duration. We must certainly expect that greater efforts will be made by the enemy than any he has put forth. Hostile airfields are still being developed in France and the Low Countries, and the movement of squadrons and material for attacking us is still proceeding. It is quite plain, sir, that Herr Hitler could not admit defeat in his air attack on Great Britain without sustaining most serious injury. If, after all his boastings and blood-turtling threats and lurid accounts trumpeted round the world of the damage he had inflicted, of the vast numbers of our air force he has shot down, so he says, with so little loss to himself, if after tales of the panic-stricken British crushed in their holes, cursing the plutocratic parliament which has led them to such a plight, if after all this his whole air onslaught were forced, after a while, tamely to peter out, the Führer's reputation for veracity of statement might be seriously impugned. We may be sure, therefore, that he will continue, as long as he has the strength to do so, and as long as any preoccupations he may have in respect of the Russian Air Force allow him to do so. On the other hand, the conditions and course of the fighting have so far been favorable to us. I told the House two months ago that whereas in France our fighter aircraft were wont to inflict a loss of two or three to one upon the Germans. And in the fighting at Dunkirk, which was a kind of no man's land, a loss of about three or four to one, we expected that in an attack on this island, we should achieve a larger ratio. 
This has certainly come true. It must also be remembered that all the enemy machines and pilots which are shot down over our island or over the seas which surround it are either destroyed or captured. Whereas a considerable proportion of our machines and also of our pilots are saved and soon again, in many cases, come into action. The gratitude of every home in our island, in our empire, and indeed throughout the world, except in the abodes of the guilty, goes out to the British airmen, who, undaunted by odds, unwearied in their constant challenge and mortal danger, are turning the tide of the world war by their prowess and by their devotion. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. All our hearts go out to the fighter pilots whose brilliant actions we see with our own eyes day after day. But we must never forget that all the time, night after night, month after month, our bomber squadrons travel far into Germany find their targets in the darkness by the highest navigational skill, aim their attacks, often under the heaviest fire, often with serious loss, with deliberate careful discrimination, and inflict shattering blows upon the whole of the technical and war-making structure of the Nazi power. On no part of the Royal Air Force does the weight of the war fall more heavily than on the daylight bombers, who will play an invaluable part in the case of invasion, and whose unflinching zeal it has been necessary in the meanwhile on numerous occasions to restrain. I hope, indeed I pray, that we shall not be found unworthy of our victory if after toil and tribulation it is granted to us. For the rest, we have to gain the victory. That is our task. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Standing in the bedroom of an English inn, the sound of revelry coming faintly up the stairs, while in the shadows across the room from you, the gun in his hand already aimed at you, is an enemy agent whose success depends upon your death. Listen now as Escape brings you Ben Wright's story, Affair at Mandrake. This speech might have been wonderful in peacetime, I don't know. I never saw it before, but in war in 1940 it was hell. And on the map that I held in my shaking hands it read, Dunkirk. I stood by a burnt-out truck, weaving with fatigue, watching what was left of my battalion lurch like sleepwalkers onto the shell-swept dunes. 
to await their turn on the little ships that were struggling so desperately to get them away and back to England. Major Baker! Over here, son, Major. You find the colonel? Wait, he's boarded, sir. Him and the old battalion order group. All of them? Yes, sir. Uh, One bloody shell. Nasty, very nasty. Uh, you want to look over the prisoners now, sir? I suppose so. Brigade still wants unit identification. Uh, this way, sir. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. I left them with the Lance Corporal of D Company. Here you are, sir. This bomber here. All right. Okay, you Nordic super man, up on your bloody feet. Uh, uh, get them lined up. Uh, uh, we'll see what we've got. This way! That man at the end, Holloway. Get him turned round. You, face the officer. You I'm talking to. That's more like it. Now we can... Thirty. Thirty shots. Bitter hammer, you're... Thirty shots. What in the world is... Out of here, my yard. You can't kind English rot to stay in. You don't understand English when you were born in England. Bitter hammer, you Holloway, shoot that man. Huh? Shoot him. No, sir. Then by heaven, I will. No, sir, you can't. Leave me. Stop it. You know it's against King's regulations to shoot a prisoner. You know it is, Major, sir. He's a traitor. I'll prove it to you. Get his service book. Yes, sir. It says 30 shots. Born London, England, doesn't it? No, sir, it says dear Wilfred Dorf, born Bremen, sir. Dorf? I could have sworn it. Dorf? Wilfred Dorf? Yes, sir. All right, Holloway. Must have been mistaken. Give him back his book. Now, I want the prisoners placed nearer the sea. Less chance of them making a boat for that way. Then I want you to... I, I wanted to see that all of the ranks are fully equipped. What they don't have already, they can pick up off the beach. Right, sir. Yes, Corporal, get them prisoners down near to the sea. All right, John Major. Come along, Holloway. Excuse me, Major, but who do you think that prisoner was just now? My best friend, Holloway. Best friend, sir? German? Yes, blasted Holloway, my best friend. Sorry, sir. That's all right, Holloway. I'm tired. We all are. I made a mistake, that's all. I, uh, wasn't really going to shoot him, you know? No, sir. Major Baker, sir. Navy just signal for us to embark. All right. Acknowledge. Yes, sir. Battalion will move off by companies. A company leading. Single file, five-yard interval. Deliver that order to platoon leaders. Yes, sir. You married, Holloway? <laughs> Not half, sir. Ten years now and three nippers. <laughs> They'd be glad to see you. I should say so. You know, I've always thought of the old trouble and strife talking too much, but <laughs> after this little larch, you'll seem like a blinking deaf... <laughs> Come on, sir, let's get off this flaming beach. We left Dunkirk blazing behind us and the Navy took over. Then England again, and finally the blessed release of two weeks' leave. But it was a short-lived happiness, for on the sixth day I was ordered to report to the war office. General Ballister, sir. Ah, uh, Baker, yes, of course. I sent for you, didn't I? Well, Baker, congratulations. 
I beg your pardon, sir? On your military cross. I haven't got it yet, eh? Well, it'll be long. That was a good show in France, Baker. Fine rear guard and a properly equipped battalion when you came ashore. Deserve your MC. Thank you, sir. Thank me, rubbish. Deserve it. Now, what do you know about rockets, Baker? Well, sir, I was interested in them uh, pre-war as a possible method for postal delivery. Oh, that's right. I have it here in your record. Ah, attended experimental meetings in Germany, eh? Yes, sir. My best friend and I... Well, it interested me. Yeah. Well, come here. Have a look at this map. Sir? Ah, Mandrake Forest. Full of rockets. Our rockets. Ack-ack and anti-personnel. Oh, the Germans think they're very clever with this sort of nonsense. We think we're a bit brighter. Mandrake Forest. I see. Baker, I want you to command a group at Mandrake and carry out field tests. Can't give you more than a battalion for the job either. I'm giving you the job because of your record and because you know about rockets. Now, what's your main problem? Security? Exactly, security. The enemy knows we're up to something and he'll do his best to find out what it is. It'll be quite a job, sir, with only a battalion. Uh, all you get with your colonelcy, of course. Uh, take it? Of course, sir. Ah. Thank you. Oh, uh, one thing, sir. Huh? May I have my old Red Holloway note? It'd be very good value. Oh, we'll arrange that immediately. Is that all? I think so, sir. Good, that's it, then. Except for a word of warning. Sir? From now on, Mandrake will be a number one target for enemy agents. Yes, sir. Your life, and more important still, our chances of winning this war depend on how well you do. I'd already thought of that, sir. I'm sure you had. Well, then, I suggest you spend the last of your leave by having a look around that district. Uh, make your appreciation and so on, eh? Oh, yes. And uh, dine with Barbara and me tonight, eh, Guy? I'd love to, sir. Splendid. Uh, 8.30, then, blitz permitting. Oh, and do me a favor, will you? Of course, sir. Don't mention rockets, eh? Uh, Barbara's all right, really, but Pongo's awfully touchy. <laughs> the bloody dog. All right. <laughs> right, sir. <laughs> and thank you. The dinner was excellent, as was the courvoisier. So it was well after midnight before I said goodnight to the balusters and made my way slowly towards my flat in Cranmer Mews. The darkness was absolute. No searchlights, no raid, an almost irritating hush. And then as I turned into the mews, I saw it. A chink of light coming from my own window. I moved quietly, yet as quickly as possible, up the steps and stopped suddenly. My door had been forced. I eased it open wider and stepped through. There was a ribbon of light from the study. Then, as I slowly edged closer... <laughs> I came to where I had fallen in the hall. Head pounding, I got to my feet and opened the study door. The room was in chaos. Chairs ripped open and papers littering the carpet. Bookshelves empty. Pictures pushed aside. Quickly, I pried open the tightly fitted false bottom to the bureau drawer. My most secret documents and books were untouched. The film of chalk dust with which I had sprayed them, unmarked. 
If it had been a burglar, he'd got what he came for. If it had been the enemy, then they'd not discovered what my mission was. Hello. Uh, Guy, sorry to disturb you. Ballister here. Oh, yes, General. Got another blister for you, I'm afraid. In what way, sir? Uh, just after you left, I got a toll call from Pick Spooner. Chaps commanding a prisoner of war camp just outside your new area. Yes, sir? Yes. Thought I ought to tell you. Pick was livid. It said that two days ago, six of his POWs made a bolt for it. His patrols have brought in five of them, but one is still swanning about scot-free. Bloody well vanished. Got a description of him, sir? That's why I rang up. Lighter's about uh, 32, medium build, but tall, pale face, black eyes and hair. I'll keep my eyes open, sir. Anything else? Yes. Pick thinks he must speak fluent English and know the country well. Uh, oh, yes. The fellow's name is Wilfred Dorf. I left London the next night, and as the train crawled towards Mandrake, under the nightly blanket of shellfire and bombers, I thought of my new command, of the rockets, and how they could change the whole face of the war, properly used and in the right hands. And I thought, too, of Wilfred Dorff, whom we'd captured at Dunkirk, the man I'd mistaken for my oldest friend, Ferdy Schatz. Ferdy's parents had been German, certainly, but he was a British citizen until he had gone to Berlin in 37 to finish his studies there. And if Dorff was Ferdy, why had he refused to recognize me that day? Shame? Fear? Why? Why change his name? In any case, I'd soon find out for somewhere in the forest of Mandrake, he was loose. And then, much later, I was stepping off the train into a driving, stinging rain at Mandrake Halt, where Sergeant Holloway met me with a staff car. And in a matter of minutes, we were driving away from the station toward the little town of Mandrake. The adjutant sends his apologies for not being here, sir, but the camp's a mess and he couldn't get away. Thanks, Holloway. Well, they posted you quickly enough. Too true, sir. <laughs> Hardly had time to get my pack off. <laughs> Camp's a mess, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, the adjutant suggests the Red Lion pub in the village for you, sir, till we, till we get settled a bit. He's warned him, sir. Cheer up, Holloway. It's not as bad as all that. No, sir. Well, at least we're home. Yes, sir. But if you'll forgive me saying so, it ain't much better than the beach at Dunkirk. How was your wife, Holloway? Talky, sir. Very talky. Well, this is it, sir. The Red Bloody Lion. The camp's number is Mandrake 4-5 if you want the staff car for reconnaissance. Fine. Thanks for meeting me, Holloway. How about a drink before you go back? Well, it's very good of you, sir, but the John Smith managed to get a couple of barrels of Scotch ale last night. <laughs> They only have bitter here. Right up. Off you go. Good night, Colonel. Good night. Becker, isn't it? That's right. I'm Alfie Bingle. I've been expecting you, sir. Your adjutant gave us a buzz, and we've the best room put by for you. 
number six on second floor. Has to eat out yet, sir? Well, I did have dinner in London, but... But they're still a bit peckish and all, eh? Yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. Well, don't you worry, sir. I told the old lady to put by half a blood pudding and some green gauges for afters, uh, just in case. That sounds fine. I'll take your valise up for you, sir, and the bottle of Jameson's Irish the adjutant sent along. Uh, you just stop into the bar parlor. Mrs. will serve you in there. Right. Thank you. Colonel, uh, sir. Hmm? I do hope you won't put us out of bounds to your chaps just because you're top secret now. Where did you hear that? Well, it's sort of gossip, is all. Sort of gossip, like. Let's talk about it some other time, shall we? In the meantime, how about the food? Of course, right away. Right away. The bar parlor was warm and crowded, and Bingo's food far better than I'd hoped for. After I'd eaten, I sat for a while over a couple of glasses of port. I was tired after the journey north. Bingo's remark about being top secret irritated me, so that when the singing began, I started up to my room. Thirty shots. Sorry about this artillery, but we have to talk, and I remembered your little outburst at Dunkirk. It seemed wiser to take no chances. And you were. Wilfred Dorff. <laughs> That's right. The sort of melodramatic thing one is forced to do only in wartime, thank heaven. Now you listen to me. Guy, please. Don't get yourself in an uproar. Pour a couple of drinks like a good chap, will you, and then we'll talk. Yes, you probably have a service revolver in your valise, but I'd rather you didn't try to get it. Hey, drink sober? tell you how grateful I was when you didn't positively identify me at Dunkirk, Guy. I'll bet you were. Uh... Well, you see, it was essential that I get to England with Germans and as a German. What else are you? Captured you myself, didn't I? You a British subject in a German uniform? Now that you've escaped, you've come to me to beg a favor. How long do you think you can trade on old friendship? You're an escaped prisoner of war. Guy, let me explain. Go on, then explain. You have the gun. All right. Firstly, we are very well aware of the importance of your new command. We? Who we? The Germans? Germans, my foot. British military intelligence. British military... You? With MI5? That's right. Guy, Guy, do you remember my farewell party at the Dorchester in 37 when I was leaving for Germany to finish my education? I remember. What about it? Intelligence knew war was coming then, sooner or later. And because of my German parentage, they sent me there as a plant. But, Guy, I'm not an escaped prisoner. That was arranged by courtesy of military intelligence. I expect the commandant of the camp is furious, but then sometimes you can't let the left hand know what... Suppose I did believe you. What are you doing here? Well, we feel sure that one of the top German agents is now or will be in this area. Target... Mandrake's new rocket command, and, of course, its commander. You. Who is this agent? We don't know. Yet. 
I see. Do you know what he looks like? They don't know that either. You know very little for someone that supposedly works for military intelligence. Oh, I see. All right, here. Here. This is the only identification I carry. Look, it doesn't mean a thing. Guy, you don't think... I don't think, Ferdy, I know. Those credentials are forged. Forged? Are you out of your mind? How credulous do you think I am, Ferdy? Now, listen, Guy, I need your help. Our friendship's finished. Done. You see, you're on one side. I'm on the other. You better go while you still have that gun, because the next time I find you, I'll kill you. Guy. You always were pig-headed. All right, then, a drink for the road, hmm? One for our friendship that was... As I poured his drink, he came toward me, smiling, his gun in one hand. Then as he reached for it, I flung the raw whiskey straight into his eyes. And as he spun away from me, half-blinded, I leapt at him. He was trying to bring the gun round on me. I brought my heel down hard on his hand. And the gun skidded away, out of reach under the wardrobe. Then his left hand chopped me hard across his throat. Through a choking haze, I reached the bed, clawed open my release, swung my revolver towards him as he came toward me. Then I fired. I knew, I knew I hit him, but even so, he was able to wrench the gun from my hands, race for the door, and slam it shut behind him. By the time I got to my feet and had the door open, Ferdy had a good lead. I took the stairs as fast as I could, but down in the parlor I saw out and a blur of excited faces. The blackout curtains at the front door were half ajar, and Ferdy Schatz was gone. And as you know, Colonel, three days later, Ferdy Schatz was dead. Captain Harper, I suppose for you chaps in MI5, this is run of the mill. But for me, the whole thing has been a nightmare. A tragedy of errors. Killing one's best friend is... Well, not too pleasant. As I quite understand, Colonel. In time of war, friendships are set aside when one's country is being attacked. And I thought Ferdy Schatz was doing just that. Now that I know he was working for MI5... Well, I... Uh, Didn't he tell you that military intelligence had sent him up to Mandry? Yes. Didn't he show you his credentials? He did. But at that time, I felt sure they were forged. Oh, I see. Look, Captain Harper. On the beach at Dunkirk, I capture this man. Later, I am told by General Ballister that he has escaped the POW camp. And still later, I find him in my room holding me at the point of a gun. And what did he tell you he was doing there? He said he'd come to Mandrake because an enemy agent was supposedly in the area... He wanted my help in, in, in turning up something. It's all easy enough to understand now, but don't you see, Captain Harper? At the time, I thought I was doing my duty. I had no way of knowing for sure that he was a British agent. The whole thing been a frightful tragedy. Oh, yes, it is tragic. That's most of all because those shots got to one of our men before he died. He never knew he'd found the evidence he wanted. I don't understand, Captain Harper. Colonel, you were able only to fire once. That's correct. Before he grabbed my gun and ran. Yes, and lost himself in the blackout. That's right. I never saw him again. 
or couldn't find him. Is this your gun? It could be. I rather imagine it is, Colonel. Shots gave it to us before he died. Well? You fired only one shot from your revolver, the shot that killed Ferdy. Yes. That's true. And during a regulation ballistics check, we found the remaining five rounds of your revolver held not part of it, rather microfilms, with a complete German code necessary for your activities here at Mandrake. Colonel Baker, you're under military arrest as a Nazi agent and for espionage against His Majesty's government. Shall we go? Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you Affair at Mandrake by Ben Wright, starring John Daner. Featured in the cast were Ben Wright, Richard Peel, Parley Bear, Joseph Kearns, Gary Montgomery, and Lawrence Dobkin. Your announcer, George Walsh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leif Stevens. Next week. You are groping your way through the belly of a sunken ship of fortune and pearls secured to your belt. While above on the ship that tends you, working the pump that sends air to you, is an adversary whose plans include the taking of your pearls and your life. So listen next week when Escape brings you John Russell's story, The Adversary. (laughs) 